Lucas on Life. Hello, I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. Here's a question. How can we change the world? How can we change our world, the network of contacts, relationships that you and I exist in every day? Sometimes we think we've got to come up with grandiose schemes and plans and projects. And of course, they can be a very important part of the equation. But this week on Lucas on Life, I'd like us to reflect on one way that we can change the world that is pretty simple and for much of the time it doesn't actually cost us anything except perhaps a few minutes. It's the gift, the power of noticing people. It's an old adage apparently dating from the 15th century and one that I've never liked. Children should be seen and not heard. It's a nasty notion. Let's enjoy the pleasant sight of children to warm our hearts but be impervious to the untimely demands that their interruptions might create. The truth is, whether we are children or adults, we all want to be seen. Recently, one of my grandsons performed a spectacular kick, a perfect volley of the football. The moment after he did it, he immediately turned around to see if he had been seen. Look, Grandad, did you see that? What he really meant to say was, did you see me doing that? Growing up, I confess that I experienced some of the opposite. I felt heard by my parents, and they cared for me, provided and protected, but I didn't feel very seen or noticed in my home. And it's not that my parents were bad or consciously neglectful, but like swimmers hampered by leaden boots, frantically treading water just to stay afloat, they were preoccupied with survival and just trying to hold a home together. They married shortly after the end of the Second World War. My dad had languished for five long years behind barbed wire, his youth stolen as a prisoner of war, until at last he'd escaped. His innocence hijacked by half a decade of incarceration and near starvation. Who knows what inner gremlins he wrestled? My mother carried her own scars. Abandoned by her father in infancy... One day he just walked out of the house and never returned. She too was a wounded soul, plagued by depression before depression really had a name or a diagnosis. Her stepfather embraced the children should be seen and not heard philosophy. I was terrified of him. Expected to get out and get a job to contribute to the family income as soon as possible, education was denied my mum. She left school at 14 and was placed in service, as a housemaid in a palatial home. Forget the romantic portrayal of the downstairs community in Downton Abbey. Every day she watched a privileged few enjoy a life of luxury that was as foreign and unreachable to her as a distant planet. Her confidence was dented, irreparable. She never learned to drive, failing driving test after test, until at last she gave up. Money was pretty short in our home. My dad worked long hours as a maintenance engineer just to keep the family afloat. And my mother did a marvellous job caring for my grandfather, who lived with us. A bowel cancer survivor, his colostomy meant that putrid dressings had to be changed throughout every day, a task that fell to my mum. My parents did unbelievably well just staying together under such pressures. And so I share all of this not to create some, when I was a lad, we had to walk 20 miles barefoot in the snow just to get to school kind of picture, 
but because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the very real challenges my parents endured. And surely, because of it all, I felt rather unnoticed. I know this not because of the result of much psychotherapy, but because I remember one very exciting day in our family's life, one that embarrassingly shows how starved I was of attention. I think it happened when I was about 12 years old. Our house was burgled while I was alone there. Nothing was taken, but drawers were left flung open and stuff scattered everywhere as the robber searched in vain for something valuable to plunder. The police were called and I gave a statement. As it turned out, the thief did get away with something valuable that day because the thief was me. Yeah, I actually staged a break-in in my own home just to get noticed, and it worked. I think the kindly policeman knew that it was me all along. Unmotivated, my scholastic achievements were lacklustre at best. University was never a subject broached, and so I assumed that I would follow my father, uncles and brother into the company that they all worked for. I would service lifts and escalators. Thankfully, this never came about because the result would have been vast numbers of people stranded on the ground floor or stuck between the third and fourth. I have zero skill in anything practical or mechanical. A major triumph for me is the correct wiring of a 13-amp plug. Any attempts that I've ever made in the DIY department have prompted my family to gather together for a time of intercessory screaming. Unimpressed with my careless attitude, my school teachers were largely indifferent. That is, until I joined Mr. Ruff's class. An avid cricket fan and a lover of Sussex Real Ale, Mr. Ruff taught English and quickly decided it was a subject I could possibly do well in. That was very good news because I was mediocre at everything else. I disliked chemistry, mainly because the teacher in charge had almost blown his head off in an experiment that went wrong. I disliked chemistry, mainly because the teacher in charge had almost blown his head off in an experiment that went wrong, which didn't inspire much confidence from me. History was dull. I hated my art teacher, and the feeling was mutual, and I was so bad at maths that I didn't even bother to show up for my GCSE exam. I still cannot perform basic multiplication or division sums to this day. Praise the Lord for the calculator. But English as a subject, now, that was another story, literally. Mr Ruff told me that I was pretty good at stringing sentences together. More than that, he looked into the crowded classroom filled with adolescents who were aghast at the idea that Shakespeare was interesting, and he saw me. Like a moth to light, I responded to his interest and gained a double A at A-level. Being seen was the key that unlocked my potential. All these years later, I've tried in vain to track Mr Ruff down so that I could treat him to a pint of best bitter and maybe a steak to go with it, because, you see, he saw me and it changed my life. And then there was another teacher, Mrs Richardson, who taught religious education. I had absolutely no interest in the subject, was not remotely Christian, but felt drawn to her because she showed caring interest in me. I didn't know that her husband, Brian, would become my pastor and do a wonderful job at it too. These people saw me and I loved them. One of my favourite Bible stories is that one about Zacchaeus, not least because it always makes me imagine Danny DeVito parked up in the branches. In a sense, Jesus was a dead man walking, passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, 
fully aware of what would befall him there, the cross. But despite this, Jesus was not walking with a head-down, furrowed brow, I'm on my way to save the planet attitude, but rather wonderfully, he saw that swindler, which was a big surprise in itself. But one greater was to follow, as Jesus invited himself over to the taxman's home for lunch, probably prompted only by the joy of being noticed. At the banquet that followed, Zacchaeus announced his sudden retirement from swindling and determined to make massive reparations. The Jewish theologian Martin Buber speaks of the distinction in our minds between treating people as subjects or objects. By objects, he means the propensity in our world for us to see others for what use they might have for us, or reducing them to being commodities to be managed rather than people to be noticed, cared for, seen. To the doctor, dear Mr Smith, who has just recently been widowed, becomes the broken arm in cubicle number seven. To the salesperson in the shoe shop, the customer is an unwelcome interruption to her chatter about Saturday night plans. And even to the pastor, the gathering of the uniquely storied individuals becomes the congregation or, worse still, just the crowd. Today, most of us will see people. Let's change that. In the days ahead, most of us will see people. I'm not suggesting that we stop and stare at everyone, studying them intently. People who do that are called stalkers. But with God's help, let's take time today to look, to notice, and if appropriate, stop and really see people. Who knows? Our genuine interest might just change a life because being seen change my life. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith, and testimony. Here's Joyce Mayer. Anything that we give up for God, he gives it back to us multiplied so many, many times over. I encourage anybody to make whatever sacrifices they need to to be in the perfect will of God because there's no better place to be. Listen to the full interview with Joyce Mayer now on the Profile podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcasts from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. You're listening to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio and we're talking about the power that we have to change the world, our world, just simply by noticing people. When Ken showed up at our church, he really caused quite a stir. Some of our congregation, genuinely concerned about their safety, called upon the Lord with a whispered prayer for protection. Others, preferring more temporal security, considered calling the police. We don't normally treat visitors to our church with such suspicion, but Ken was the ultimate portrait of menace. He was dressed totally in black, his arms and face covered in some pretty interesting tattoos. His studded trench coat made him look like a vampire, and some of our congregation weren't keen on giving blood. His rage was further confirmed by his tattooed knuckles. On one hand, a four-letter word was scrawled. On the other, another word that made a really abusive greeting. That had been Ken's lifelong message. A swear word or two. An angry drug abuser who had spent more than half of his life in jail, he was notorious in the community, his face permanently twisted into a snarl. He only came to the service because somebody dared him to attend. You're so horrible, you should try church, they'd said. Hardly a warm evangelistic strategy, 
but it had apparently worked because he showed up. Ken sat at the back, absolutely determined to be unmoved and later confessed that in his living memory he had never ever cried. Who knows what horrible childhood traumas had smitten his tear ducts with a lifelong drought. Then little Marge Semple showed up. Silver-haired, elderly and with a smile that could light up a room, little Marge was on duty as a member of the welcome team that morning. She boldly strolled over to where Ken was sitting, his arms folded defiantly. Hello, she chirped. I'm Marge. I don't believe we've met. She rested her hand lightly on his studded shoulder. Marge was somewhat taken aback by Ken's immediate violent response. Burying his face in his hands, he suddenly exploded into loud wailing. This was no penitent whimper. He howled. Heads turned nervously. Ken sobbed his way into the kingdom of God that day. The emotional dam burst was triggered quite simply because for the first time in a very long time, someone had been pleased to see him. Someone had seen him. A simple gesture of welcoming kindness unlocked a man who had been imprisoned by hate for decades. What did little Marge do? She looked past the exterior which was menacing and saw a man who simply needed to know that someone cared. Ken started to attend church and his enthusiasm in worship initially caused a few raised eyebrows. When he raised his hands in praise and worship, people three rows back got a rather unexpected swear word message from those lifted knuckles. Eventually, Ken decided to have that lettering removed by laser surgery. A doctor in our church volunteered his time and we took an offering to cover other hospitalisation costs. Standing in the baptismal tank with his hands still encased in post-operation plastic bags, he thanked the congregation for their support. His face beaming, he held up those hands, those tattoos now gone. Now the outside matches the inside, he said. I'm clean. Ken's life was totally transformed and his conversion stuck. These days, he's still following Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot to change everything, just noticing people. Marge passed away just recently, her sparkling eyes now just a memory, at least for the time being. But she's living proof that small acts of kindness can trigger revolution. And who knows? Perhaps, when she found herself in the presence of a heavenly welcoming committee, someone with hands wounded, not by hateful marks, but by marks of love, stepped forward with a smile. Hello, Marge. Jesus sees us. Let's see people. Let's notice. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith, and testimony. Here's Justin Welby. Part of my daily prayer discipline is praying in tongues every day, and not as a sort of occasional thing, but as just part of daily prayer. Listen to the full interview with Justin Welby now on The Profile Podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcast from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. Just recently, Kay and I were on a holiday for 10 days where we were in the same location with a large group of people. Okay, we were on a cruise and just to justify myself a little, it was pretty cheap. 
During the 10 days, we noticed a couple who always seemed to be talking to other people that they didn't really know. They were confident around strangers. They were like social relational magnets. Finally, when we got to have a conversation with this warm, attractive couple, we heard something of their story. She was a breast cancer survivor and she was loaded with wisdom, simple statements, but powerful statements of truth. Because of her experience as a cancer survivor, she'd made a decision not to try and live a parallel life, but rather to live the life that she had been given. And she said that she wanted to live the life that she'd been given, not to always be looking for something else. Good advice. Actually, the Bible talks about contentment. But it wasn't just the fact that this couple were attractive, that they were sensible and offered wisdom. But I noticed that as they moved around the ship, they simply noticed people, not just fellow passengers, but members of staff. They were constantly greeting people, not in a weird way, but making people feel empowered, important, valued, noticed. This week on Lucas on Life, we've been thinking about noticing people. Are we hurtling through life at such speed, so desperate, so desperate to fulfill our agenda that we don't stop and notice? Who knows? Tonight, tomorrow, this week, we could change the world. We could change someone's life, just like Ken, just by noticing. Lucas on Life.